0: This is the Social Leader Podcast made for entrepreneurs, business owners, faith leaders, community advocates, volunteers, trailblazers, innovators, and visionaries from every walk of life. Social leaders strive to move beyond charity, to integrate, and then operationalize their social priorities. They forge sustainable solutions to solve our community's most tangled problems. Folks, social leaders are the most creative, most important leaders of our time because they are striving to lead with greater social impact to change our world. My friends, welcome to episode number 20 of the Social Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Father Justin Matthews. And really quickly, before we begin, I want to tell you that today's episode is presented by Reconciliation Services, a nonprofit social venture here in Kansas City, Missouri working to cultivate a community seeking racial and economic reconciliation to reveal the strength of all. You can find out more about reconciliation services programs and even support our work at rs3101.org. Well, my friends, today I am so pleased To welcome my guest, Darren Story, Darren is the host of a top 10 radio show called 107.3 After Dark, as well as a Sunday Inspirations program, as well on the same station. He also co-hosts, or excuse me, hosts Caring for KC, which is presented on seven cumulus media stations all across the region. He is a community advocate here in Kansas City, Missouri. He is husband to the illustrious Krista Story, a good friend, a neighbor of mine. He is the husband and now the the father of six boys. He's a longtime supporter of Reconciliation Services. Welcome to the Social Leader Podcast, Darren.
1: Thank you, Father. And uh, I have studio envy. I want to let everybody know that Father Justin has quite the setup there, and, and now I have to Get to work uh, to catch up with you.
0: <laughs> well, I may have a studio, but that doesn't keep me from getting tongue twisted on your introduction. So, Mia culpa. But I, That's I'm okay. so glad to have you on the program. And for those of you. Who are listening? Uh, Darren really is a great friend of ours at Reconciliation Services. He's done some volunteer work and and some consulting work for us, and he's been a longtime neighbor of mine here in Kansas City. So, Darren, truly, it's an honor to have you on the program. Listen, I want to jump right in uh, because you know this show is all about social leadership, but none of us jump into leadership. None of us are fully formed as a social leader when we jump into the game. So I'd love for you to unpack a little bit of your leadership journey and maybe even starting with childhood a little bit. Tell me how you got to be the leader that you are today and help illumine where your heart was formed along the way.
1: Well, um, Father, my parents moved here from Oklahoma City uh, when I was just a year old in 1966 and um, quickly we were met with an issue that we still talk about today. You know, 54 years later, uh, my father got a call paper, um, and that's the black newspaper that still exists. Um, and looked in the looked in the paper to find that uh, we could not look for housing, pretty much south of 27th Street, west of Truce, or east of Prospect. So that means our prospect prospects for housing were very very limited. So we realized that wow, all the black people uh, pretty much live in this geographical box. And that was my life growing up. Honestly, didn't know any better. Uh, just the neighborhood was the neighborhood and it was it is what it is. And I, I honestly, in many respects, I wouldn't change a thing uh, other than the fact that I wish we would have had more prospects and more opportunities that was afforded to us. And if we had decided to live there, that's fine, but we had to live there. We it wasn't like it wasn't a choice that we were given, and so I, I think that began to when I, when I heard that story later on in life because I didn't hear that story till I was a teenager, to be honest with you, just asking my father, well, why do we live here? Why don't we live further south now? Because uh, by the time the late the early seventies happened, white flight really became a thing, uh, so we could move further south central which was a all white school became quickly all black um people were living in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and and so the art the black community became much bigger because white people left um and so but i always asked why did we live why do we live here and he said so, he told me that story and i was like wow okay that's interesting um i have always been in charge of stuff in high school. I was the section leader in the trumpet section. I was a drum major. Um, I'm always the one that if I see a need, I try to attack it. Um, I don't want to sit around and, and on the sideline and, and wait for somebody else to do it. I am that guy that volunteers and raises his hand and says, Hey, I'll do it if somebody else doesn't want to do it. Um, and That used to be in things that brought me joy, but then eventually community became really important to me as I began, as I became a father, as I realized that I was going to have six black men that I have brought into this world, knowing that they are my legacy, but also they are the community's legacy as well. And I just wanted to uh, simply leave this place better than I found it. I felt like that I had an obligation to do that. I felt like there there are many people that came before me that had that same obligation or felt that they had the same obligation. And that is why I still live in the third district. That is why I my kids go to to neighborhood schools. My son is in Lincoln right now. I graduated from Lincoln uh, College Prep. Uh, so he, when he graduates, it'll be 40 years since I graduated from there. When he graduates in 2022, I graduated in 1982. So I'm very proud of that. So it, father, I, I, I don't know, you know, God has called me to do whatever I can do, use my platform. And the fact that I'm on the radio talking to potentially thousands of people at a time, I take very seriously whenever I open up my microphone and something comes out of my mouth, I know people are listening and I have to take that responsibility very seriously and if I, if I have a chance to change a heart or mind in that moment uh then I think that's that's good work and that's uh, and I think that's pleasing to God
0: you know Darren there's a lot of people though who grew up in the 3rd district and I know that my family and my three now teenage boys uh 18 16 and 13 we we lived until just recently in 3rd district on Forest mm-hmm. and we, in fact, that's how we know each other. We were we were neighbors, and um, a lot of folks that grew up in Third District and in in the the ten neighborhoods primarily east of Troost uh, in Kansas City, they didn't get to go on, or they've not had the opportunity to go on and to do the things that you've done. I mean, you've you've not only graduated Lincoln, but uh, you you were a, a musician and toured all over the United States in a mm-hmm. band, and and had a you know. Top 10 radio single in the 90s. You went on then to number work for one. the chamber. Oh it was, sorry. <laughs> it was a number one. What was the name of it? And was the name of I your got band? a
1: thing for you? 1992. I got a thing. Number one on the RB Billboard RB charts.
0: I'm pretty sure at, like my junior prom, I probably like danced really awkwardly to your number one single. <laughs> <laughs> probably did. Like, yeah, we won't go there. But uh you know, you then went on and you worked for the Chamber of Commerce, you worked in business. So like, help me understand what was the springboard for you out of that history, out of that community? And what's the difference between you and so many other uh, young men and women in the third district and in the area who haven't achieved or had the opportunity to achieve those same great things in life?
1: not to say that this is the end all be all on on why but i did grow up with a mom and a dad in the home i had very very uh strict parents um not strict where they were strangling me but they had an expectation and my father got to eighth grade my mother graduated high school uh my father was still one of the smartest men that i ever knew uh but uh I had that expectation i wanted to, I wanted to make my dad proud. I mean, and my parents proud, but uh, they they put a drive in me that I could succeed in spite of the conditions that I was living in. and I just believed that and I, I I didn't think about all the barriers that were there before me. I just was the type of person that, okay, I'm just gonna do this. I don't know what it is, I'm just going to do this. So if you're talking about Going to college and, and become a good part of the Florida A&M University Marching 100, one of the best marching bands in all the land. I went. I did that. It was it was a goal. I met it mm-hmm. um, low key. Uh, we worked very, very hard for a lot of years. Got a break. I mean, so come, sometimes you just need to get a break. And I, you know, I want to say thank you to Tony Talbot and Lance Alexander, who were the two guys that helped bring brought me into the band uh because they they thought that i would bring value and we had some a lot of success and uh but what makes me different is i didn't quit i i think that a lot of people and that's not a knock on people because sometimes you just want to throw your hands up you just want to because it seems like no matter what i do i can't seem to get ahead yeah. Um, and there's a lot of young people that, that probably feel that way. And they, that's why a lot of young people sometimes turn to crime and because they just feel like I can't get a break, man. I can't get ahead. What's going right. on? I want to do the right thing. I I need to do the right thing. But I can't get a break. And, and sometimes this comes down to eating at night, you know, being clothed. Um, and And you know this, Father, because you see the people every day at Reconciliation Services that they're making choices based on survival i was fortunate that i didn't really have to do that because i had an ecosystem of people around me family that supported me um but there were times where it's tough where it's like this ain't worth it and eventually i did have to get out of the entertainment business because it was tearing my my first marriage apart uh that i had to make a choice on whether or not to stay in something that i loved because think about this you dream to be. We used to, we used to actually act like. What would it be like to be on Soul Train? We would, we would mimic that. Or, or what would it, what would it feel like to be on Video Soul on v- BET, getting interviewed by Donnie Simpson? And then, a, and then you blink your eye, you're on Soul Train. You're performing on the Arsenio Hall show. So, one thing I want to tell anybody that if you're out there watching this or listening to this, that you can do what you set out to do it's going to be hard harder harder than you ever would have imagined but if you can visualize that goal you can make it happen and I know sometimes that might sound trite and like cliche to a lot of people but I'm living proof of that the things that I used to dream about in my head actually came to fruition but I think the biggest thing was I just didn't quit
0: You know, um, I think you're making an incredible point because I grew up with parents that told me you can be anything, you can do anything if you set your mind to it. Don't let anything stand in the way. And um, to have a mother and a father or one or the other or a grandmother who speaks into your life, that Mm -hmm. kind of possibility, that kind of dream truly makes all the difference in so many circumstances. Um, But I will also say that there are people in our community who are surrounded by such trauma, both adults, like we serve, 18 years old and older at Reconciliation Services, over 5,000 people a year come here to 31st and Truth for uh, all sorts of different services, but so many children, And, you know, if you've been watching the news lately, I don't care where you are in the country, Mm -hmm. you've heard about one of our uh, incredible recent tragedies, a little boy named Legend who was shot by a stray bullet. He was sleeping in his bed over at the Citadel apartment uh, about 63rd and Paseo on the east side of Kansas City just asleep, just like we put any of our little boys, our little girls to bed. And then next thing you know, you know, he's shot and he's gone. You know, when you grow up with trauma like that and with violence like that in the community, isn't it true though that somebody can tell you dream big, but it just feels like the mountain's too high? I mean, what do you what do you think and what do you say to that kind of violence? And how do we counterbalance that kind of issue in our community and move forward, Darren?
1: Um that's a That's a really hard one. And I just wanna take this opportunity to uh, uh, just to say how sorry and and my condolences to Legend's family. Uh, No one really deserves to go through a tragedy like that. And, And no little boy should die that way. I don't care who you are, where you're from. And, but one thing we have to realize father is that as a community, we need to be equally as outraged about this as we are about the injustice and the inequality that exists in our world today. We should be equally outraged. We should be if we want to protest. That would be a good thing to protest. And uh, we can't have it both ways. We we cannot continue to put this over here, compartmentalize these things. and. And just worry about the thing that right now is sexy because mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I know. I get it. I, I believe you. I Trust me. I'm with you. Mm-hmm. But a little four-year-old boy was sleeping in his bed. And his life was snuffed out like that. No regard for who was in that house. None. And that's insidious to me. That is not normal. So we got to start talking about all the things that precipitate all this, Father, like the trauma that you, you're talking about. I mean, that, that whoever that assailant is, we can probably mark time there's some trauma in his life.
0: Oh, absolutely. That, that I mean, yeah. wouldn't you agree, though, that the Black Lives Matter movement, which is addressing very openly the systemic racism towards the African-American community and, and communities of color in general, mm-hmm. isn't that issue directly related to Legend's horrific death? I mean, this is a little black child yep. on the east side of Kansas City. Do you see those two things as connected? Isn't it in a sense like one protest, Darren?
1: It should be one protest. You know, it shouldn't be these shouldn't be separate issues or like I said, be compartmentalized. Uh, these are the same thing. It's Black Lives Matters is an umbrella. And underneath that um, umbrella are all of our lives as black people, as a community, even when it means we are killing one another. We have to be addressing that at the same time that we are addressing the systemic racism that exists. We we I think most people realize now that have taken their their blindfold off and, and realize that okay. The construct of this nation is, well, shall we say, at, at, at best, problematic for people of color. So we should be able to do the same thing with this. Let's take the blinders off. Let's take our blindfolds off and realize that we have a problem. It has some systemic issues involved with it uh, and our inability to 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 value life in many cases, something that I think is really problematic. I I don't even I, I can't even unless someone father was threatening my family, I mm-hmm. cannot even fathom taking another person's life. I just well,
0: and that goes for when we talk about police brutality, too. And I am so, I don't want to distract from where you're no. going, but it's the same thing. Yeah. Like, okay, a guy pulls a taser on you. L- let's say he's the worst criminal in the world. Does that still mean you shoot him dead? No. You know, or, you know, you're defending your home. You know, is there a way for you to defend the home without somebody being killed? And, you know, I, one of the things is that, Darren, you and I have both raised boys, in the same neighborhood on the east side of Kansas City. I raised three little white boys from the time that they were toddlers, and you raised six African-American young men. And I know because I've lived both in the urban core as well as in the suburbs, Mm -hmm. there is a difference. I remember when I lived in the urban core and then I moved away and then have come back I didn't realize the amount of toxic stress, the amount of hypervigilance that I was carrying as an adult who's educated on these things. It was just like a part of the air that we were breathing. Mm -hmm. And I'm a white man, Uh, I'm I'm clergy. I mean, I I walk in a space of privilege every day that I'm uh, aware of, but our kids and your boys, you know, they carry that stress too. Mm -hmm. Even if you're not in the apartment building where legend was shot, you know? You and I both heard gunfire all the time. Every It may not have been on our street, although sometimes it was, but it was all around us. And I'll never, I'll never forget, Darren, that one of my little boys said to me, he probably couldn't have been more than 11. Um, the kids were playing in their room on the second floor at night, and there was a pop, pop, pop. And my second child said, oh, I think those were firecrackers. And my oldest said, no, those weren't firecrackers. That was probably a nine mil. And I looked at my wife with like tears in my eyes. I said, when in the world did it come to be that little boys should know the difference between gunfire and firecrackers? I know. You know, and there, you know, there are so many things that are tied up in that. You know, talk to me about what you think is precipitating that violence, because it is a mental health crisis. It is a a trauma crisis,
1: trauma, public health, mental health. Um,
0: You know, connect those dots for us, Darren, because there's a lot of people who don't live in the urban core. They haven't dealt with that. They haven't grown up with it. Make it real. Why is this happening? Connect these dots.
1: Well, in my mind, I, I think if you don't connect violence with overall public health, then you're missing it. You're, you're again, compartmentalizing something, um, you know, walking down the street and, you know, uh, let's Dwayne Wade, the basketball player, a couple of years ago, his, uh, I think it was his little cousin was shot while his cousin was rolling. and had him in a stroller with a straight bullet. Um, a public health, uh, when you think about violence, you can almost think about it in an in, in epidemic proportion. In Kansas City right now, I mean, we're, we are absolutely trending to shatter our homicide.
0: No, it's like a virus. It's, it's, Maybe it's people virus. talk about it like right. a virus.
1: It is. And that's why it, we must begin to talk about violence and trauma and mental health as a public health crisis. People don't feel safe. People are in survival mode, Father. People are in survival mode. And and then you know what that makes them? Desperate. Makes people desperate. And then when you're desperate, guess what? You do desperate things. You will put yourself in harm's way or someone else in harm's way if it's going to impact you, at least in the positive for that moment. And people are just thinking about these things in this moment. And that is not a way to live your life. You cannot live your life Always in the moment where you are reacting to what is going on in your life, um, because so many of these things are are they're not precipitated or or premeditated. They are they are a lot of times crimes of passion. These are fight breaks out. Guess what? People run to their run to their cars, go get their gun, take care of business. Also, too, the fact that we do not live in a nation where black people trust law enforcement enough to call on them when they are needed until after it's over.
0: Well, and that's an important segue because another part of the story with legend is the reality that President Trump has sent, I think, some 250 federal agents of different agencies to Kansas City. Right. And and I hate that Kansas City is now sort of nationally known as this know, right? super violent city, which... I. I I see the trends also, but you know, that's almost like saying East of Trust is ubiquitously full of crime and violence. I mean, that that's not the case either. And Kansas City is not that story, but it is a part of that story. You know, connect those dots for me. What do you think about these 250 plus troops that have been sent to Kansas City to come and I guess fix the issue, fix our problem? I, what, what's your thought on all of that? It's a sticky issue.
1: Well, first of all, I, I want to give honor and grace to uh, Legend's mother. I, her name escapes me, but you know she obviously went to the White House and talked about how important this is to her to find her son's killer. And, yes. and we need to honor that, respect that, applaud that, and, and absolutely lift that up.
0: Absolutely. On the other
1: hand, uh, I am not confident that this wasn't a... A, a boss political move in, you know, with a hundred some odd days left to the general election.
0: Not on um, legend's mother's part, I mean, but you're not saying- not on legend's mother's part. I'm talking part about, I'm
1: talking about the, the deployment of these law enforcement uh, resources from the federal government. Uh, I am all for the feds helping to solve crimes. If, if the police departments are backlogged and this gives them time to actually do police work here on the local level, I'm I'm all for for that if right. that if that's true and but I just struggle with I think we all struggle with trust right now. I it, there's I don't have a whole lot of confidence in the motives of the administration that this is what they really want to do is the, and this is not just some dragnet that um they are deploying and you know uh Quinn's Mayor Lucas. I shouldn't call him Quinn. (laughs) Mayor Lucas is in a tough spot. Uh,
0: Well, he was our councilman, third district for so long. I feel like we all knew him and know him personally. But yeah, Mayor Q.
1: Mayor Q is is in a tough spot because he he I think it took it was a big of him to ask for assistance that, hey, we've got a problem. Uh, I'm not going to stand around and 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 let my ego dictate my decisions for the people of Kansas city. So he reached out for help the way that help was deployed and came out and was, was purely political in my mind. And, and so I, I I hope that it's, it's true. We just don't know. And I think that's what pains me about our country right now is that it's hard to know what and who you can trust anymore. It, It used to be pretty clear that you knew who you could trust and who you could believe in. But now, Father, I, I am disillusioned by some of the things that I've seen oh. several years, especially over the last couple of months, and how I think the American people have are totally being disregarded uh, by those in Washington. I I may have told you this story. I don't know if I have or not. But when they were trying to pass the stimulus bill, mm-hmm. I was watching C-SPAN. And there were three people in the Senate chambers. So that means there were 97 people somewhere else not trying to do the work for the American people. And I thought that was telling. I thought that these people who make senators make one hundred and seventy four thousand dollars a year. They have health care that is beyond compare. They continue to get a pension after they are done serving, and they could not have stuck around and got something done. They are about to go on another six week recess. When we have issues, unemployment's about to go away. People are going to not have money to pay just their basic bills. People are scared to go back to work. That's a public health crisis. We we we're in the middle of a global pandemic, and we are not. We don't have leadership that's that's showing us the way on how to get beyond this, and it's it's frightening. I have never been this frightened in my entire life, to be honest with you.
0: Well, we certainly live in confusing times, and no matter where you are on the political spectrum, and and. I think a lot of people are in different places. Here's the one thing that I would pull out in particular of what you've said. This is a public health crisis. Mm -hmm. Like the coronavirus, violence is a a public health crisis. And so the thing that I always think about is you cannot solve violence only with so-called traditional policing and law and order. That's right. You know, look, my perspective after 22 years of working in health and human services as an entrepreneur and a nonprofit leader, and in particular working in um, the mental health space with uh, indigent communities and low-income communities, that is the key. Nobody wakes up and goes, yeah, I think I'm going to be a crack at it, get a gun and go shoot somebody. That's right. That's not ever happened. Never. It's a slow progress of one situation and one wrong decision and another barrier and another wrong decision that precipitates one after the other that leads somebody into the place. And I won't say that they don't have a choice because I believe in that personal choice and that that, yeah. that freedom to make a choice, even if it means your death, You know that kind of martyric choice. But I will say that people have often so few choices There's such despair. And I think personally that if we're going to talk about a national political solution, if we're going to talk about reformation of policing, we have got to start funding the mental health initiatives. We've got to start funding um, the next evolution of community safety because, you know, kind of what we've been doing only works in certain situations. But it's like calling on teachers to also be parents. You know, they, that's not their job. It's parents their need job. to be parents. Teachers need to teach. Police officers are not trauma therapists, even if they're CIT trained, you know, so I'll get off of that soapbox because <laughs> this is supposed to be your interview. But no, oh, <laughs> no,
1: no. Right on, man. This is a conversation. This is not some, you know, back and forth show. I mean, this is, let's let people are just watching us talk like we always talk. Right. And that's what this is what we do when we get together.
0: You know, I, I really appreciate the perspective that you're bringing because more than anything, I say to people all the time look, listen to people who are from different backgrounds, different geographies, different ethnic identities, different political persuasions. And my God, if we have lost something in this country, it's the ability to have political discourse while disagreeing. You know,
1: yeah, father, I, I think it's the insatiable, the insatiable feeling of wanting to be right. That is what everybody is really about they it's It's all about being right. It's not even about considering another point of view. It's not even it, it, no one has time for that and and I think part of that, of course, is part of uh what social media has done to fragment us from having real conversations about things that we might disagree on and actually listening to what another point of view has to say. I, and I think a lot of the way I've been shaped, I haven't just lived here in Kansas City. I've lived in Detroit. I've lived in Minneapolis. I went to school in the South, uh, college in the South. So I've uh, spent a lot of t- lived in L.A. for a time, spent a lot of time on the East Coast. So I've seen different regions and I, I've been around a lot of different people and I would encourage people that whenever you can, whenever we can travel, is go spend some time in another part of the country. And and because I think there are a lot of people here in Kansas City that um, think if it ain't broke, don't fix it, that we don't have any. We really don't have any real issues. You know, Kansas City is a great town. I, I, It is. But I think both things can be true. I think you can be a great town, but still have a lot of problems.
0: Yeah, but you can be in this hot box where you've never seen anything but what you've seen, you know, and you don't know that it can be done differently. If you travel to Vancouver, they've got an entire office or they call it a ministry of reconciliation within their government. The whole job is to figure out how to reconcile the city's history and its tragic interaction with the First Nations people. You know, things are possible if we kind of look beyond our lens and listen to other people.
1: You have to be intentional. Yeah, you just have to be intentional. And that takes leadership. And that's why I think your show, this podcast is so apropos, because social leaders are the ones that are trying to grab the bull by the horn and tackle these tough issues, because our power hungry leaders are only interested in power and keeping it in Mm -hmm. my opinion. social leaders are the ones that are saying, hey, we're going to tackle this issue. And I'm gonna get enough people in this room That are on all sides of this, and we're not going to come out of this room until we have a have a solution. It kind of reminds me of if you've ever seen this movie, Dave. uh, Yeah, yeah, Dave with Kevin Klein. Well, if people have seen it, there was there was a scene where they were going over the budget, and and they had all the cabinet members, and he and he was an accountant as playing the president. But so they went through. And they basically went through that, that budget item by item. And he went around the room saying, you don't really need $3 billion for that. Do you really? He's like, well, no, not really. He's like, okay, so we're going to get rid of that. Well, the point of the matter is they did not leave that room until they balanced the budget. Right. And we need that kind of intentionality with these problems that we've been talking about today is that we have to have the attitude that we are not leaving this room until we figure this out. So
0: yeah and that's a good word let's, are. Get,
1: let's go let's get those people put them in charge until we say we're not going to leave until we figure this out
0: you know darren when we talk about social leadership you know i think a lot of people think well you know i'm not a politician i'm not independently wealthy and a full-time volunteer i'm not a nonprofit leader like i'm not a social leader i'm just a a programmer at a you know some computer company or i'm just an insurance salesman whatever you know, when we talk about social leaders at Reconciliation Services, we're talking about a mode of leadership, a way of thinking, just like we talk about an entrepreneurial mindset. Here, we talk about a social entrepreneurial mindset so that no matter what leadership lane you're in, no matter what job you have, you can be a social leader. You know, at drop by drop, the bucket fills. And all of us, there's anything that this situation, you know, George Floyd and Black Lives Matter and legend and the violence, if there's anything that should be more apparent now than ever, it's that everyone has that calling, you know, in church world, you know, I'm wearing the collar. So I'm going to go there in church world. They used to say, you know, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. You've probably heard that before, Amen. Amen. right? So begin you know, begin, do what you can do today. And when you learn better, do better. But we've all got to get out of, you know, our houses and get out and do something, do something. And there are a lot of people Darren, that are listening. And as we wrap up, I always end every show with this and I could talk to you forever, but I want to make sure that we get to this. There are people who are listening, who are leaders in their own lane, and they want to learn how in, how to increase their social impact and change the world. What are two or three pieces of advice that you would give them from your experience?
1: You stole one from me. OK, you said start, you said start. just start, just do something. I, I, that's something that I say all the all the time on my especially on my Sunday show where I deal probably with more um Issues uh because I try to come at it from a biblical standpoint. But I always say, I don't care what you do, just do something. Just please do something, find out what that is, find out what because God has gifted all of us with something, and some people have never found out what that is. But trust me, we all have a purpose, we all have gifts that we can use to better edify our community. The second thing I, I would I would probably say. Is um, understand where you are in your life as far as what you've learned. Because I, if I, I wouldn't be on this show with you if this was twenty years ago, Father. I, I wouldn't. I, 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 didn't have the, the knowledge. I, I was still kind of into myself more, more, you know, into me being selfish. I still hadn't really gotten to that point to where. I care about others because I care. I don't have to try. I just do. I know it's it's God has finally opened up that vessel in my heart to where I just care. I know it's important that I care for people and that I when I see something on the streets, I'm not saying what's wrong with that person. I'm saying, man, what happened to them? Right. You know what? 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 I would like to know what happened to get this person to this place. There's there's a story. Everyone has a story. So uh That I'll segue into that. If you want to be a social leader, understand that everyone has a story Mm. and you must try to tap into that story and understand that your one-on-one encounters, you might not think they matter. They do. Mm. They do. You, You have a potential with kindness and love to change the trajectory of someone's day and potentially their life. And when I open up my microphone again, on when I, I take that very seriously, w- w- who is out there that is struggling right now? Maybe I have something of worth at that moment that mm. gets them to the next day. And we can all do that if you want to be a social leader. You we can all do that. You don't need any degrees, you don't need any PhDs behind your name, right. you just need to be someone and i always say at every end of every show that i do be kind to one another love one another until we meet again and i i will say that till i die until i don't have a voice because kindness is something that leads to healing and when if we can get that healing man i'm getting emotional uh we need to be healed man we this land our community need to be healed and that comes from us engaging one another in a place of kindness. And I, I I still believe as long as God has us here on this earth that there's always an opportunity for us to heal our
0: land. Darren, um, I really appreciate you bearing hand. your heart. I really appreciate it. Oh man. I I apologize. I uh, oh
1: and you know what? You can you can lead us in there. I, I don't care about all that, but I'm just um uh,
0: What's bringing that up for you, Darren? What's What specifically are you feeling or hearing that's making the tears come?
1: Just if everybody would stop for a minute and realize that we probably all want the same thing. We want to get to the same place. Um, and... We have the word all in a lot of our documents, liberty and justice for all. Um, All men are created equal. And what's bringing that up to me is is that we're, we're human beings and we should want us all, you say this all the time to me, all ships rise together. If we want to have a more perfect union then we every America should work the same way for everyone that is in it that's all everybody really wants we can have we can read every book we can we can march we can do all these things but really simply is that America should just work for everybody the same way it works for for you know who i'm talking about i mean i just that's what that's where my tears come from and we're not being kind to one another because of this railing against the fact that this nation has spent an exorbitant amount of years time money and resources and legislation to keep african americans in their place and that's why i weep um I I've I don't know I've been very fortunate where I don't want to say I've transcended race in many ways because I know I can never do that, uh, but because of what I can do and what I've able to do, I am able to have conversations with people like yourself and people other people uh, and and other white people, but brother, my white brothers and sisters, and have some conversations that have been that have been very fruitful and. We didn't mean to go here, but I simply would like the United States of America to acknowledge what they have done. Just acknowledge it. Just say so, because that's what any relationship, Father, once you acknowledge that I have wronged you, now we can move towards healing and this railing against acknowledgement of what this is, no matter how obvious it is. I was sharing with someone, a young white woman who didn't know about the GI bill from World War II that it was not impl- it was not implemented the same way for white soldiers as it was for black soldiers. That's right, and she was like, "Oh my god, I said, that's just one example you know and, and so it created the ghettos, it created the box that my parents had to live in when they came here. and then when I think about that how how insidious that is that A government can just do that to a group of people and not be held accountable. And that's why people are angry and frustrated. Now, I'm frustrated and I'm angry, but I'm not going to. uh, I'm going to use my platform that I've been given to get that word out, uh, being a broadcaster. But it is it is uh, really frustrating for people just not to acknowledge what has been done. And it's what is so obvious. And, you know, some people talk about slavery, like it's a myth. <laughs> I mean, right. like, it, like, Oh, you know, the slavery stuff. It's, it's really disheartening.
0: Yeah. Just like Corona is a hoax, right?
1: Yeah. Corona. I mean, yeah. So uh, I, I know we kind of went off on a tangent, but that's, that's to answer your question, father. That's where those, those tears come from because, because of, we're not being kind, we're not being kind to of each other. I'm black people at all. This, all this stuff is connected to how we interact with one another and how we try to live and coexist with one another. And it's all very complicated, but I really do think if we could just get back to being kind to one another and caring about one another, that could be. And then acknowledging what this yeah. is, yeah, we can could, we could move towards healing. So.
0: Darren, I appreciate you sharing the depth of your heart. I appreciate you sharing vulnerably with us. Mm -hmm. And I appreciate the social leadership that you exhibit because what you're doing here in Kansas City is an example for all of us in the nation. You're doing your part and you're sharing and you are kind. And I I wrote down, number one, do something. Number two, understand your context and the other person's context because everybody has a story. And number three, be kind to each other and love one another. And I really appreciate you sharing those uh, three pieces of advice with anybody who's aspiring to begin or to continue this journey of social leadership. Thanks again for joining us on the Social Leader my Podcast. Pleasure, I, I sure appreciate your work in the community and your time today.
1: And I, I appreciate you. And you know, I love you, man.
0: Love you too, my friend. Thank you so much. Well, my friends, we have come to a place now where we have had another very powerful podcast. And I want to thank you for listening today. I really hope you picked up something from Darren because he laid a lot down. And I hope that even if you disagreed with something, I hope that you will listen deeply to his perspective and his lived experience because it can teach us all something. And I have a favor to ask of you. If you liked today's podcast, I need you to jump out there wherever you're listening and smash that like button, hit that little bell on YouTube so that you know when we go live, and rate us on Apple Music and iTunes because uh, that will help us really share the show with so many more people. And I believe that we've got to get this message of social leadership and how to begin out. And also, if you like today's show, and you're looking for a place to begin your journey on social leadership, I'm super excited to tell you that in just a week or so, we're going to be dropping the brand new e-course called The Social Leader Essentials. You can go to thesocialleader.org thesocialleader.org. Answer a few quick questions and sign up, and you're going to be one of the first people to know when that resource drops. And by the way, every single dollar donated in downloading that uh, e-course is going to go to support the work of racial and economic reconciliation right here in Kansas City at Reconciliation Services. So, Until next time, again, thank you to my friend Darren Story. Make sure you jump out there if you're local and go to 107.3 and listen to his many shows. And I'll look forward to seeing you back here next time.